to Stealth Boom Boom, a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Mahern and joining me on this episode is a man that I can only describe as my number one. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is a man I could only describe as my number one, brackets, but in Roman numerals, it's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello. Neither of you are my 20 or 13 or anything. Only number ones for my number one boys. You're a very caring person. I try. I yeah. try. Before we chat about the game that we're making reference to, we do need to get into the right headspace. So let us don our party hats and get confetti or something like that. Because tonight we're going to party like it's November 18th, 2003. Now, the problem here is that the game we spoke about on the last episode, Manhunt, also launched on (laughs) November 18th, 2003. So rather than repeat all the stuff that I said uh, two weeks ago, I'm just going to say Lionel Messi, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dexter's Laboratory, Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul, Crash the Wedding by Busted, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, and The Matrix Revolutions. And if you'd like to know the context behind all of those things, just listen to the Manhunt episode (laughs) and you'll figure it all out. Um, So that's what was happening on this world of ours around the 18th of November. So now it is time to discuss the game that we're going to be talking about today in a segment that we like to call Back of the Box. So yes, the game we're talking about today is indeed called 13. X-I-I-I. So what is 13? Well, I guess I could sum it up as a stealthy first-person shooter where the bullets go badoom and kerploop when they hit their targets and other words like that. Mm. Some platforms and release dates for you. This one came to PC, PlayStation 2 and Xbox on, yes, the 18th of November 2003 in North America. And then it came to Europe 10 days later on the 28th of November. Uh, It also came to GameCube uh, around that time. And then it came to Mac, thank God, on the 11th (laughs) of June, 2004. Now, what we do uh, during this part of the show is we look at the back of the physical box. And what myself, Adam and Josh have in front of us here is the back of the PS2 box in the UK and Ireland. And there's a lot of colour. Like This is a good one, right? This is a good one. Yeah, there's a lot of setting up the story. And that doesn't matter because I'm going to recap the story for you in a minute. But there's some great stuff here, right? So you have four screenshots. On one of the screenshots, the, the protagonist, 13, has <laughs> a hostage, right? They're using them as a shield, like in many video games, and is holding a gun up as well in front of them and pointing it at an enemy. The, the text reads, Let enemies take the bullets for you. 
this is a selling point in the game. Shields. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another screenshot here. Someone is holding a knife. Well, someone. 13 is holding a, a throwing knife. And he has quite clearly already thrown a knife at an enemy in front of him because that enemy is bloody and they're about to die. <laughs> and the text on the screenshot reads, who said comics were for kids? It's good stuff in there. That, that's fantastic. There's a brilliant irony to it because it's, it is very childish. That's the thing. It's like a sort of actually screenshot that would appeal to kids. And also in 2003, I don't really like, there'd been loads of adult comics yeah. by that point. So I was like, there's no need to be that defensive. Like, <laughs> it just sounds very insecure, really. And I suppose, you know, it, it, oftentimes video games have been insecure as well. So it just, it, it marries the two wonderfully in that single screenshot with that one sentence. Yeah. So yeah, that was what was on the back of the physical box. Mm. So now I have a little spoilery story synopsis for you. And whilst this isn't like Metal Gear Solid, there is still quite a lot so I am going to try and blitz through this because, you know, it's very twisty-turny. There's a lot going on. So, a gentleman wakes up on Brighton Beach, Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, not Brighton Beach, East Sussex, although that I'd like to play that game. This gentleman is woken up <laughs> by a lifeguard named Janet. And obviously when a lifeguard is given a name like Janet, you expect her to stick around for a while. Well, she dies about a minute later in the game <laughs> when a group of men, uh, along with someone called the Mongoose, yeah, brilliant, they come to kill this gentleman that's already woken up, right? They don't and the gentleman gets away. This guy, it should be noted, has woken up with amnesia. So all that he can remember is that he was shot at while escaping a boat that he was on and he has a tattoo on his collarbone that is the number 13 in Roman numerals, X-I-I-I. So everyone calls him 13. Makes sense. Uh, One thing 13 had when he woke up was a key to a safety deposit box at a bank. So he makes his way towards said bank where he discovers that he has rigged his safety deposit box with a bomb that will go off when the thing is opened. He set that up because as 13 remembers it, uh, he was investigating a conspiracy of some sort. Ooh, Ooh, the plot thickens. So around here then, 13 is arrested by the FBI. Yeah, it's it's moving along. So he is brought in for questioning by a guy called Colonel Amos because they suspect that 13 shot and killed the president of America, William Sheridan. They think 13 is the Lee Harvey Oswald of this situation mm-hmm. because someone has taken pretty clear-cut photos and they got a good shot of 13's face. According to Amos, 13's face also is that of ex-US soldier Steve Rowland. So during this interrogation, the mongoose attacks FBI HQ and there's just chaos and people are distracted and it's, oh, it's bedlam. During this time, 13, who let's just call him Steve Rowland from here on out, uh, is saved by a woman called Major Jones. So Jones busts Rowland out of the CIA HQ and tells him that both she and he served under a General Carrington. Now, Carrington has since gone missing during his own investigation into the murder of President Sheridan. So Jones finds out that Carrington is being held in an army base in the mountains by another general called Standwell. So Jones takes Rowland to this army base. 
house. Eventually, Roland frees Carrington and both begin to make their way off the base. It's at this point that Carrington tells Roland about what the general was investigating. So, the ears open, kids, right? Carrington tells 13 that there are 20 people in a, uh, a conspiratorial group that want to take down the US government. Carrington says that Steve Roland was number 13 and that Roland did kill the president and then the mongoose kills Steve Roland. So Steve Roland is dead, meaning that 13, the protagonist, isn't Steve Roland. I told you it was going to feature twists. So before Carrington tells 13 who he really is, they have to make their way to a contact who is going to be killed by the mongoose. Uh, this person is number 17, Kim Roland. Steve Roland's flipping wife. It's also around this Fucking time hell. that 13 has a flashback. <laughs> He remembers speaking to Kim Rowland and General Carrington after having plastic surgery to assume the identity of Steve Rowland. So Kim had betrayed the conspiracy that she was a part of and was aiding this attempt to bring them down. So during a shootout by Kim's location, 13 is caught by the bad guys and taken to Plain Rock Asylum. Brief aside, I feel like every game we've played lately has featured some sort of insane asylum. <laughs> yeah, it's a, actually, yeah. It's a feature that's coming up quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Anyway, the bad guys have Dr. Johansson here, who has a very evil voice and is obviously going to do some nasty stuff to 13 in order to rejig their memory. He doesn't get to because 13 kills Johansson and then escapes the asylum. Hooray, brilliant. 13 eventually meets back up with Jones and heads for Mexico, where there's going to be a meeting among a number of conspirators at a base of the special forces group called SPADS. SPADS stands for Special Assault and Destruction Squads. During the mission, the fake 13 finds out his real name is Jason Fly. And he was a squad mate and sort of rival of Steve Rowland at SPADS. Uh, before Fly left and joined up with Carrington. So from here on, I'll call 13 Jason Fly. I'm sorry, it's just, it's a lot. Uh, Fly learns that the 20 conspirators are planning on using SPAD soldiers in some sort of coup. They want to put a new government in charge of America, basically. So to put the kibosh on that, Fly blows up a hangar of weapons at the base. And in fairness, that will delay it quite a bit. Fly then escapes said base on a submarine, makes his way back to America. And I should say, all the way throughout this, he is killing the occasional member of the conspiracy. And all of them have their own numbers tattooed there in their, their collarbone. Back in the States, Fly and Carrington decide to bring the FBI's Colonel Amos on board by explaining the whole truth about what's happened and Fly true identity and all that and with extra help Fly continues to take out some more conspirators in a hotel before heading to the conspiracy members headquarters here Fly learns that this group called themselves the 20 and uh, they wear Ku Klux Klan robes and hoods like the whole kit and caboodle and that is true to the source material so the 20 you know if you needed any extra hints they're very bad our heroes get Senator Walter Sheridan involved, who is the politician and brother of the assassinated former president. Sheridan says that he will help Fly gain access to a military facility where Sheridan says that they're definitely going to find the number one. Uh, the Spads attack the base, however, along with key members of the 20 and the Mongoose. So it's go time for the coup. Don't worry about it. Jason Fly kills every last one of them because he's dead cool and brilliant and he just stops everything and it's going to be a happy ending. And at this point, we are going to get our happy ending because Senator Walter Sheridan is elected president of the USA and he holds a party on a yacht, which Jason Fly is invited to. 
as well as seeing some of the most extravagant fireworks you're ever going to see, Jason Fly overhears a conversation between President Sheridan and Steve Rowland's wife, Kim. A lot happens in about 30 seconds. So Jason Fly learns that Sheridan is holding Kim Rowland's son hostage and that Kim had apparently promised Sheridan that she'd kill 13. No specification on whether that's Steve Rowland or Jason Fly. Fly also learns that the mongoose is still alive after he had killed him. I didn't make a big enough deal about that a second, but he thought he was dead. And Fly also finds out that the number one of the 20 is none other than President Walter Sheridan. And we get it to be continued on screen. So lads, I don't know about you, but 13-2, it's going to be a humdinger. So hold up a second, right? Hang on now. I just I just want to confirm something. I'm just processing here. So he woke up in Brighton Beach, yeah? Correct. And what happened then? <laughs> so the developer of this one is Ubisoft Paris. Unlike... A Ubisoft studio we've looked at on other episodes like Ubisoft Montreal, for example. Ubisoft Paris, not quite as celebrated in the same way. And because of that, there just isn't as much out there on this particular Ubisoft subsidiary. However, I can tell you some things. So, Ubisoft Paris was in fact the first game studio that the Gimo brothers set up in 1992. The Gimo family, of course, the founders of Ubisoft. And after years of publishing uh, the games of others, they wanted to start making their own. So, of course, if you're in France, you start in Paris. But one person in particular who was going to be pivotal to the development of Ubisoft's first in-house game wasn't too keen on the city. So speaking to Game Informer in 2011 for their UB Uncensored Oral History, which I've referenced previously, game designer Michel Ancel said the following... I was not really comfortable in Paris. My family was not able to move there because it was very expensive. I was really young and I had nobody. If you move to Paris without money, it's horrible because you are in a bad apartment and you don't have money so you can't go to the good part of the city, so you're just walking. I decided to leave because at the same time it was really the beginning and Ubisoft didn't exactly know what to do. It was their first experience managing a developer and for them it was quite complex to organise and we were really few. We had like five developers. I went back to Montpellier? Montpellier? Montpellier, yeah. Montpellier after half of a year. It's worth mentioning that in 2020, Ansel retired from video games development and made some allegations of workplace abuse. Just worth noting. So, Ansel, Frederic Hood and Alexandra Stiebel had concepted this limbless character that would be the protagonist of a new 2D platformer called Rayman. Ubisoft loved the idea, so they set up a new studio in Montpellier, cleverly named Ubisoft Montpellier, and development took place across both cities and studios. It was, I think I referenced it before, it was a big success for Ubisoft, and get this, it was the best-selling PlayStation game of all time in the UK. No. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I am talking about PS1, just to be clear, but... Yeah, beat out Tomb Raider 2, Gran, Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo 2, Crash Bandicoot. It's it's mad and apparently true. After Rayman, there were a few kids games as well as a football game called Action Soccer, which wasn't a FIFA killer. In 97 then, they released a futuristic racing game called Pod, Planet of Death rather than Payable on Death. The year following, 
They had another go at a football game. This one was called Kiko World Football or Puma World Football or World Football 98, depending on where you lived. I don't know if this is 100% true, but according to something I found, you would get the game if you either bought enough Danone yogurts or you you found the prize yogurt pot or something like that. Even if it's bullshit... I choose to believe. There were a few racing games in the following years. There was F1 Racing Simulation on Windows and Monaco Grand Prix Racing Simulation 2. Then in 99, Ubisoft Paris, along with a lot of other Ubisoft studios, uh, supported Ubisoft Montpellier on development of a Rayman sequel, Rayman 2 The Great Escape. Great game. Yeah, this brought the lad with no arms to 3D and at (laughs) launch was a critical success. The move worked. Then in 2000, UB Paris led development on Dreamcast and PC for Disney's Dinosaur. So this was a tie-in game to the movie of the same name, if you remember. Yeah. At the box office, it did pretty well. The game, however, did not. Fast forward to 2003 and it is time for another Rayman. And again... Ubisoft Paris supported Ubisoft Montpellier on Rayman 3 Hoodlum Havoc. And this 3D platformer sold a million copies and was again well received by critics. But the Rayman train was definitely, it was starting to slow down, in fairness. Also, that year they launched the game we're talking about today after first beginning development in late 2000 early 2001. So Ubisoft Paris wrote three dev diary style blogs for GameSpy explaining some elements of development. In the first, producer Julian Barres mentioned how the 13 comic book series wasn't actually the main inspiration for the game's look. He said, quote, Team was influenced by several graphic novels and movies. Graphically, we were more inspired by American comics than European ones. Sin City or 100 Bullets are two good examples. In Ubi Paris's second blog on GameSpy, lead artist Natalie Provost explained the origins of using the cel-shaded look at Ubisoft. She said, quote, The idea to use cel-shading actually began many years earlier in Japan while working on the concept of a manga-style game using the Cartoon Effect plugin developed by Ubisoft. The game never went beyond the design stage, but that experience got me hooked on this plugin. It might seem weird or even sacrilegious to say this in the video game field, but I believe what gave 13 such a characteristic style was the fact that neither the artistic director nor myself are big game players, so we look for our graphic reference points outside the world of video games. 13 was then announced in March 2002, and yeah, then it came out, basically. (laughs) And that is all I have for you on Ubisoft Paris up until the launch of 13. If we were talking about it a few years after, there'd be the Raving Rabbids games and Just Dance. But I think we might talk about Ubisoft Paris again sometime in the future as they eventually become the core developer on Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon. But yeah, that's your lot. Publisher then for this one, obviously Ubisoft. And we have done quite a number of Ubisoft games already. This is our fourth this year. So we have covered the formation of the publisher up until 2007 in our Assassin's Creed episode, which we released uh, on April 4th of this year. So go back, listen to that, and you'll find out about farming. That'd be good. (laughs) That's your publisher. That's your developer. Sales-wise then, sales were definitely lower than Ubisoft anticipated. I don't have a number for you, sadly, but I can tell you that in 2003... 13 was the 86th best-selling game in the UK, one place above Tekken 4, 
which was a 2002 game, and one place uh, below Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which did, in fairness, at least come out the same year as 13. But I don't have numbers, sadly. I bought it. <laughs> which we will get on to, yeah. Uh, the critical reception of this one on PS2, it sits on a 73 Metacritic score and on PC, it got a 72 Metacritic score. And that is your 13 back of the box. So we are going to take a quick break ourselves. But you, dear listener, you get to listen to, at least I have seen accredited as this on the internet, 13 character trailer one Gunman. And yeah, this came out summer of 2002. So you take a listen to that and then we will be back when that's finished to talk about it. Enjoy some Fox Mulder. Conventional wisdom says that I killed the president. And for all I know, I did. It all started when I woke up on a beach. I had no idea who I was, where I was, or how I got there. But before I could start hunting for my past, my past started to hunt me. Just when things looked the darkest, an angel appeared. A silent angel with a killer's instincts. I just hope she's on my side. I guess today is just my unlucky day. All right then, let us chat. Some marketing and pre-launch press coverage of 13. And first, some marketing. And first again, the 13 character trailer one, Gunman. I think this sells it so well. It, it sets up the story. There's intrigue there, like giving you story, giving you a bit of the style of the game. I think this is an absolute belter of a trailer myself. Yeah, no, I like it. It's stylish as hell. Does, does what it needs to do, intrigues you, lets you know just enough, uh, but not too much, yeah. So it's sold me. Completely agree. There's good energy off it. 13 had a surprising amount of trailers. It was like, f- I think I found five in total, all different character trailers telling you about, oh, there's there's 13 and then there's Major Jones and I think there's a Carrington trailer. and There's, <laughs> there's just all these different trailers, all narrated by... As I said, Fox Mulder from the X-Files, David Duchovny. Now, there's plenty of time to talk about David, but I do want to share more of David with the listener. I have audio here of uh, a 13 US TV ad. Take a listen to this. My code name is 13. My enemies have robbed me of my identity. Now I'm going to show them why 13 is their unlucky number. For a comparison, I wanted to play this French TV ad because in terms of energy, there's there's quite a gulf, I would say. 13, le jeu vidéo. 
Vous ne vous souvenez de rien. Vous êtes seul. Accusé de l'assassinat du président. Votre seul indice, le chiffre 13 tatoué sur votre peau. Poursuivi par le FBI et l'armée. Pris pour cible par de mystérieux tueurs. Éliminez vos ennemis. Infiltrez leur base secrète. 13, le jeu vidéo. You know, it'd be amazing if that if, if that also was David Duchovny. <laughs> oh, that would be impressive. We did German in my school. Maybe David did French. I don't know. Maybe so. It could Maybe be him. So. But yeah, again, plenty of time to talk about uh, Mr. Duchovny, which we will do later on. So the next thing I wanted to share with uh, the two of you and our lovely listeners is this marvelous making of thirteen video. I don't know when this was posted but this was on the official 13 website so I have a few clips to play from this and every single one of them is going to have odd sound effects and (laughs) I guess you're losing a little bit by not seeing the visuals of this because the setup is very odd (laughs) it's a regular dev diary with developers looking down the barrel of the camera explaining how they designed a level or what have you but also there's a fella in the corner who's putting together a sniper rifle or they'll make it look like some of these developers are sort of in in an interrogation situation it is very odd but I am all about it it is absolutely brilliant so the first clip from this that I wanted to play and this is kind of in addition to what was uh, mentioned earlier so this is lead artist Natalie Provost explaining the cell-shaded look. So take a listen to this. People often have this preconceived idea that the more drawn or cartoonish something looks, the easier it is to create. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We added the cartoon effect to the characters. It gives a comic strip 2D look to a 3D object. This effect is achieved by adding a thin black line around the characters, which looks like a pencil line. And the textural effects also help to make it look sketched. So I didn't put in that, but I I left it in because I liked it. It's good. It's fun. It's fun. It's quite funny how, like, you have to have this... 30 second explanation for something that nowadays I think if you went oh it's cell shaded like I'm sure we did with say Sly Cooper mm. uh, which would have actually come out before this yeah that's the thing that gets me like I don't really understand why like that there, at that point we already had Jet Set Radio we already had Zelda Zelda Wind Waker we already had like cell damage on the PS2 and uh, yeah you're right like Sly Cooper had already- like, I feel like I don't really need this, man. Like, even then, I swear we must have known about cell shading. Uh, another clip here I have kind of continues the, the chat about the, the comic book style and the source material as well. So, marketing manager Damien Moray, uh, producer uh, Julian Barres, and level designer Vincent Bradditch. I apologise, Vincent. I absolutely butchered your name there. In this clip, you're going to hear all of those voices speak about how they wanted to remain faithful to the uh, the source material, the comic book 13. So take a listen to this. 13 is inspired by a French comic book series. So we worked with the original artist to design the characters and had the scriptwriter ensure that everything we did in the game was faithful to the original. A lot of the game's spirit comes from the comic book. The hero is a kind of anti-James Bond. He isn't bristling with gadgetry. He gets by with whatever means he manages to come across. 
The 13 game design was influenced by the graphic universe and the use of pop-ups, which appear either to warn of imminent danger or to inform you that you can collect important items. Another example is when you do a headshot, boxes appear to show an enemy falling. A lot of those things we're going to end up talking about in the next section and just throughout the podcast, but because of the couple of clips I've played there, now is probably the best place, I guess, to talk about the source material, the comic book 13. So firstly, I'm sorry, I have to correct the the guy who was speaking at the start there. It's not a French comic book. It is in French, but it is a Belgian comic book written by Jean Van Ham. And the artist was William Vance. And it was first published in 1984. Now, the story of the game does indeed take a lot of inspiration from 13, the the comic book. In fact, the story of the game is basically the first five volumes of the book with a little bit from volumes six through eight. Before recording this podcast, I read the first five volumes because I wanted to see uh, how much it differed. Some things I noted. In the game, you are discovered by Janet, this beautiful blonde lifeguard. In the comic book, he is discovered by an elderly couple. In the game, he ends up in Plain Rock Asylum because he's captured after he's caught in uh, an avalanche. In the book, it's because he's framed for the murder of his father and uncle. In the game, he goes to the Spads camp because Jones, I think, has received intel on there being some of the 20 at the camp. Whereas in the comic, he goes to the camp sort of undercover as someone called Ross Tanner. Kim Rowland was General Carrington's daughter. The president's dad pops up in the books as well. What else? Oh, there's a, there's a fairly plot pivotal character in there called Betty, who was also a soldier in the books. The general gist is the same But yes, certain things have changed in the game and it is also a lot more condensed than the books. So the next clip I wanted to play is of lead sound designer Alkis Algariadis. I apologise, Alkis. Struggling with these names this week. I do apologise. But yeah, in this, you're going to hear the lead sound designer speak about the dynamic soundtrack and the sound effects. So take a listen to this. Something I'm particularly proud of is the interactive music, which really syncs with the action following the gameplay. It's never linear. When you're on an infiltration mission, you walk and the music's calm, then the fighting starts and it really gets carried away. We use a very strong musical style which draws on the 1960s and 70s with composers like Lalo Schifrin, for example. We mix all that up with more recent loop-style music and the result is really fantastic. As far as the sound effects go, we were looking for something very realistic and powerful. We produced nearly 3,000 sound effects, in particular the sounds of some mighty powerful weapons. All in all, it's pretty good. He just likes shooting guns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a little duck noise to cover up some swear words, I think. (laughs) I I did quite like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, he spoke there about the music, which is definitely something we're going to talk about. And like in in a lot of the clips I played, you have already heard what it is. Uh, Spoilers, we all liked it. It's very good. We'll talk about it more as we go along. But yeah, that is your marketing, pre-launch marketing, of 13. So now let us take a look at some pre-launch press coverage. And the first thing here 
from uh, CVG and this was posted on the 18th or sorry, the 11th of April, 2002. And in this, producer Julian Barres was asked why Ubisoft were adapting 13 when the Belgian comic, its popularity, was confined to French-speaking markets. Barres said, quote, The same reason we went for this graphical style. The story's good and has always been good, but we think the graphical style is really French. It's funny. But when we took the comic to some English people and Italian people, they were like, ah, it's ugly. It's almost too French to be good outside of French and Belgium. This is why our style is really different from that of the comic. We wanted something that would be appreciated in countries other than France. No, that is something I I failed to mention. The art of the comic is so different. Really? It is way more detailed and way more realistic. All characters are proportioned realistically. Their bodies, their facial structure, their reactions as well are really muted. They're not these like massive eyed humans with huge hands and huge expressions. They're just (laughs) very real looking rather than caricatures. It would be remiss of me as well not to mention the backgrounds, the environments. Like again, in in the book, the backgrounds are really detailed, not minimalist at all. The graphic novel looks great. Yeah, it wouldn't, I don't think it would quite work in, in game form. Maybe with the graphics that we have now, but it's a, I guess, a, a tougher sort of style to capture. So I, I do love the one they went for in the game. I think it suits that sort of quick, fast action. And the colours are kind of glorious as well. Next thing here from IGN, an article titled Eve Satisfies Her Major Jones. I don't even know what that means. It was posted on the 17th of November, 2003. And in this, Eve, I should say, Eve is the rapper, Eve. It's Eve, the woman who did the song with Gwen Stefani. Um, It's fucking Eve. You remember Eve? That's who this is. I mean, she really had her moment in the late 90s, early 2000s. Who's that girl? You remember who's that girl? La, 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 la. That one. Eve. (laughs) But um, in this article uh, with IGN, Eve was asked about how easy she found the transition to video game voice acting and she said quote the experience was fun it's hard but it's fun becoming a video game character is fun it's definitely a combination of being in the studio recording an album and acting in the studio I'm used to the lights being down nobody telling me what to do it's definitely different but it is like acting because people are directing you telling you to go this way instead of that way so it's okay that's what Eve was up to And she was excited to be in 13. I also have an article here posted on IGN on the 21st of November 2003 titled David Duchovny Interview. (laughs) In this, David Duchovny, he was just asked what what he thought of 13. And Duchovny said, quote, What strikes me is that 13 looks like a movie. The shot making is movie like, which is kind of fun. The kind of playful action movie shot making is pretty, it's pretty good. Thanks, David. It's almost like he's trying to convince himself. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> what a way to sell your product. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, man, that's good. And last article here, posted to IGN on the 2nd of October, 2003. And producer Julian Barres. he spoke about the cast that 13 had accrued, of course, Eve, David Duchovny and a man we haven't mentioned yet, but Adam West, he of 
Batman fame and I guess to more modern audiences, Family Guy fame and just, you know, Adam, I'll do what I did for Eve. It's Adam West. You know who Adam West is. But yeah, Barres said on the cast, quote, We were delighted to get Eve on board, who was a fantastic match for the streetwise Major Jones. Both women are strong, sexy and mischievous to a certain extent. What? (laughs) Adam West's portrayal of General Carrington was decided upon as soon as we heard Mr. West would be interested. He has a distinctive authoritative and classic voice and is such a great actor to boot. David Duchovny was the ideal choice for a lead character who is the everyman hero, someone with deadly talents and skills but who also has insecurities and weaknesses. And I'm sure all of us got that from David Duchovny's portrayal of 13. Big time. Big time. So that is some pre-launch press coverage of 13. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about our thoughts on this very game. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then. This is our review portion of Stealth Boom Boom, where indeed we tell you what we thought of the game. But before we get on to that, I want to know your knowledge of 13 before you played it over the last fortnight for this very podcast. Adam Carl, do tell. I I said this last week, but I had the, um, I had a physical copy of this game on PS2 and I have no idea where it came from. Not (laughs) a clue. Just one of those games. I might have thought in my mind, did I play this? Did I give it a go? Or did I just look at the back of the box all the time? I don't know. But now I have and I've played it. So here we are. Here we are indeed. Uh, I remember it coming out. I remember thinking like you, it looked very cool. But yeah, I I would guess I didn't play it. I I don't think I did. But then oh, there's like this this slight feeling that maybe I played it at a friend's house. I'm fairly sure I remember... A friend of mine had it. I love those friends. The the wealthy ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, myself and Adam were looking at the box going, oh, that's so cool. Josh Wise, he had 14 copies of 13. <laughs> I was that rich friend. I had all the 13 <laughs> copies. You should have come around mine. I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I bought it. I was like looking forward to it. I remember reading about it in... Uh, I can't remember what magazine it was, but it was a great screenshot, a great, a great game to be excited about with all the screenshots and shit. And uh, I bought it. Uh, no, was it a birthday one? Anyway, I acquired it and uh, played the shit out of it. And it was instantly, it was one of those games that was immediately a cult game. It was a game you love to tell people about and and be annoyed that they weren't playing, which was it, it's, it's sort of hipster hipstery. Yeah. But I remember at, at school just being like, oh, you got to play. Th-. I lent 13 to like numerous people. So I promise it wasn't hipstery gatekeeper. Because you had 13 like, copies, yeah. obviously, or 14 of them. Like, so. so I was like, look, take them. I was rocking up like fucking Santa Claus at school. Um, <laughs> you knew that it like weirdly wasn't popular. But, every, but at the same time, everyone was like, oh, yeah, it's that game. It's the comic booky game where the guns say boom. And yeah, also uh, the multiplayer. That was my memory of it because it had this kind of legendary multiplayer that's, again, got a weird cult following. But I remember fr- uh, friends bringing Xboxes around, <laughs> bringing Xboxes around to each other's uh, house so they could <laughs> so they could do LAN uh, parties for uh, Halo 1. 
Uh, and also 13 would sort of break up the sleepover with uh, sessions of 13. What golden days they were. One thing I neglected to mention earlier was, of course, that there was a remake in 2020, which came to PS4, PC and Xbox One, and then eventually came to like all the systems now, Switch, Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. And... I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to do remakes. Like there are, there is definitely scope with say like Twin Snakes and uh, I don't know, maybe some other thing. But like the remake of 13 is mad. I played it. I thought it was all right, except it was fucked in a number of ways. It crashed lots and I got booted out to my bloody PS5 dashboard like six times on one particular level and I was like right fuck that but then they remade the remake like another developer came in and had to mm-hmm. fix it and oh crazy if we do enough games that have had remakes <laughs> then maybe there's a spin-off Stealth Boom Boom remake podcast in there yeah like Twin Snakes and The Last of Us Part 1 oh yes of course yeah yeah I forgot about that you're dead right there, there actually have been have been a few stick that one <laughs> On the, on the ideas pile. So for those of you who didn't play along at home, I'm sure you're after getting the gist of it, but let me tell you what exactly 13 is. So 13 is a first-person shooter comprised of 30 or so short-ish linear missions. They range from, let's say, 5 minutes to 15 minutes-ish. Some can get up there a little, be a bit longer, depending on how often you die, I suppose. Some missions encourage an all-out shooting, shooty-bang-bang approach. Uh, Others will result in an instant failure if you're spotted. Some other missions more stealthily. And some are a combination of both. One could say the stealth boom-boom approach. Uh, The big thing about this game, obviously, as we've said loads of times, uh, is its style. Uh, We're going to talk about it more in depth in just a sec because it does tie into how the game plays as well. So yeah, that, for those of you that didn't play along at home, that is what 13 is. So now, let us review this bloody game then. (laughs) So what we do with our reviews is we split it up into sections. We first talk about a game's stealth, then we talk about a game's boom boom, which is more explosive, shooty bits, and also if if a game has it, like it's just, it's other gameplay bits too. Then we'll talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area in a game, can be our favourite, least favourite, whatever, it's our, the most noteworthy one for whatever reason. Then we talk about the story, the voice acting, the characters, And then we have a little miscellaneous section at the end where we just mop up anything else we have to add that doesn't fit into any of the other sections. So let us review 13 then and starting off by talking about the stealth. And as I said, the style of 13 does play into how the game plays as well. And we'll get on to like how it ties into the boom boom. But first, let us talk about how it ties into the stealth. So, Josh, can you explain tap, tap, tap? Tap, 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 Yeah. <laughs> so basically, it says words on the screen and the words sound like the sounds that are sounded. So you can hear the sounds because it's a sound medium. It's a it's a, a an oral medium. So you don't need the words. But the words come up anyway. Uh, you might need the words in a comic medium, but not here. But they did it here so that when a gun goes bang, the word bang comes up on the screen. 
uh, the best use of this onomatopoeia style, I think, is the little tappa-tappa-tappa that you get, which is an enemy's footsteps. It doesn't happen all the time. I think you have to crouch. You have to be standing still, I believe, for like a very short space of time. And yeah, if there is a guard behind a door or behind a wall, if you can't see the guard, then you will see tap, tap, tap. But it's brilliant. It's so fucking stupid, but it's brilliant. So yeah, you can, you don't know what's going on. And you're in an enemy base or something and you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm stealth man, stealth boy. And uh, you want to, you want it to stay that way, but you can't see around corners. There's no soliton radar. So you just crouch down like, you know, Joel from the last of us, I guess, with his supersonic hearing. And you just look at the wall and eventually... You see this little thing pop up on the screen and because it can do it when they're like really far away, which is kind of funny because it's this little pixelated little shape. And as it gets closer, you realize it's the tap, tap, tap of the footsteps. So you can just Mm. see that. And it's so clever. It's the fact that it's the comic booky thing that's just like such a good style meets function point. I think it's it's like because all the other ones in the game are sort of... They're just style. Like you don't, you don't need the word boom to come up when you shoot a rocket launcher into someone's head, but it does. And it's great. Uh, But this, this particular one, brilliant. Yeah. I I thought it was really cool. Um, Similar to what Josh was saying, like it's obviously amazing for the style of the game, but like, it's not like it's crazy deep or anything like that, but it's refreshing when it's not like a vision cone, like line of sight or a kind of a stealth meter kind of thing down in the corner that you're seeing. What I kind of enjoyed about it was when you do see the tap, 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 I like how you can tell is the enemy your direction if you went around the corner or is he walking away? So like it was kind of that weird gamble, I guess, when you kind of look into the room, you go, oh, like he's right there, but he's just kind of walking my direction or he's going the other way. Mm. So it was kind of just it added that slight little bit of tension t- throughout those little moments, you know, but um, really and truly, though, it, it, it is sold big time on the, the style. I think overall 13's stealth based language is, it's cool. Like I'm going to say, I'm going to say cool loads mm. throughout. It, it is very, very cool. Like <laughs> two of you just spoke about the, the sound effects lettering, the, the tappa 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 of the, the enemies. But like sometimes as the player, you'll also get an idea of where an upcoming enemy is via a comic book style panel that'll pop up Uh, So on screen, it'll look like a separate window and that will show you that there is an enemy in a location that is unfamiliar to you. So you put two and two together that what you're being shown is probably the next area and there's going to be an enemy in there. Similar to that, uh, you also find these monitors that are connected to surveillance cameras doesn't happen on every level, but it's something that just happens from time to time. And all you do with these, they're kind of retro futuristic looking monitors. You just walk up to them and again, you get a little panel that'll pop up in the top left. And what you're now looking at is a CCTV camera that's just going from left to right and showing you what, again, is presumably in the room ahead of you. The style in which all of this is delivered is obviously in tribute to the the medium of the source material. And it's just, to to parrot everything, it's marvellous. Like, I never tired of seeing those comic book flourishes 
we will talk more in depth about the more bombastic ones later, but it doesn't really work. It's cool, but it doesn't actually offer you an awful lot in the way of actually knowing where an enemy is or how far they are away from you. Like, the tap, tap, tap of footsteps does tell you that there is an enemy behind a wall or a door. You may enjoy not getting more information, Adam. I don't. And I have issues with the tap, tap, tap. Like, I understand it's meant to get larger the closer an enemy is to you. So the further away the, the, the tap is written smaller, the closer the enemy is, the tap will be bigger. But even at that, it's just, it's not obvious enough. It needs to go from tiny to fucking massive in my eyes, or it needs to go from white text to red text. It needs something more. Like I tried to utilize it where I could, but I just didn't find it that much of a help. And both the the panels that pop up telling you there's an enemy ahead, as well as the surveillance cameras, they don't fully land either. You'll get that there's something ahead of you, but without the context of where that is, I'll give a hypothetical, right? If you're in a grassy outside area and a panel pops up showing an enemy against, uh, showing them standing against a yellow wall, you know that there's an enemy ahead that's going to be standing against a yellow wall. And let's say there's a building in front of you as well, right? So you guess the enemy that's standing in front of a yellow wall is in that building. But you don't know if that enemy is going to be right behind the door. You don't know if they're a bit further in the building, in a room on the left, the right, etc., whatever it is. And without that knowledge, you're not getting the full whack out of those pop-up panels. The surveillance camera panels are, are basically the same. You don't have control over the cameras. You can't tell where the camera is in the room. You can't tell where the camera is pointing. So you just, you can't fully tell what you're looking at when it comes to them either. And I really want to stress this. They are so cool. But functionality-wise, they're just not there. You're looking for a deeper game. I, I think the fun aspect of what I'm kind of enjoying through, I kind of can get past. I can respect what you're saying, obviously, and I, w- I, I would like to see that level of depth. Like, are you looking for like a splinter cell kind of vibe going on here? Are we well, hang like- on a second, right? Because what? Well, I will hang, hang on. on a second. <laughs> you, you, know, you hang on. Like even the tap, tap, tap. Like that would be altering a system that's already there. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Like usually, I can see precisely what you mean, Colin Mahern, because you explain yourself very well. Um, but on this one, <laughs> but not tonight. <laughs> I yeah, I honestly um, no. I thought it, I thought it was. Um, it gets bigger and smaller very nicely. Uh, I used it to locate them with great reliability, and when it starts to go away from you and become a little bit smaller. I knew the enemy had turned around, so that's the moment I chose to leap out and thump them. I, I honestly just didn't get that. I just thought, yeah, bloody... I do agree with you on the cameras. I mean, that's the sort of thing where it's... Maybe Metal Gear Solid did it a little bit better because it shows you the cameras and your relation to them. Mm-hmm. I know I know what you mean a little bit more with them because they, they do sometimes pop up and I, it'll, it, I'll go, oh, okay, oh, hang on a minute though, what? Is that, am I, where am I in relation to that? So so definitely for that one. The Tapper Tapper Tapper, I just thought it was ingenious. Well, before the anger overtakes me and we have to stop <laughs> the podcast dead, why don't you, Josh, talk about something that we agree upon? Yeah. 
which are the everyday items that you as 13 can pick up and use on enemies. I, I ruddy love them. And I wish that more... So basically, 13, with Jean Van Ham, or Van Ham, and uh, William Vance, Vance, let's call the whole thing off. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to get sued by anyone, but they definitely just took the Bourne identity and went mental with it. Before you go on, mm-hmm. yes, they did. Now, not Doug Lyman's board identity. And it should be said, we are entering, just as I mentioned, that I feel like we're we're talking about insane asylums a lot on Stealth Boom Boom. feels like we're entering the Doug Lyman zone uh, quite a lot lately as well. Um, of course, go back and listen to our first proper episode, Sly Cooper and the Thievius Raccoonus, for more on Doug Lyman and his involvement on this podcast. So, 13... First book comes out in 1984. The first Bourne uh, novel, The Bourne Identity. Robert Ludlum. Penned by Robert Ludlum, indeed. That was 1980. And the 13th writer, uh, Van Ham, Van Ham, from what I have found on the internet, yes, he was indeed inspired by Jason Bourne. Oh, well, as ever with this podcast, Cullum has proved me right, but I want extra credit for arriving there <laughs> in independently um and i mean inspiration is one thing but it goes absolutely mad on it i mean you know fair enough that he admitted it but the comparisons are mad um and it does mingle in with the movies as well because you've you've got the sort of the plot from the he go wakes up washes up on a beat doesn't know who he is goes into a finds a thing that leads him to a bank i mean all that's there in the thing but it, what I love about this uh, sort of mechanical thing in the game is you can pick up little objects, like there's chairs that you can pick up and bloody smack them over folks' heads. Brilliant. I never get tired of that. And the, it says crash when you smash a chair on someone's head. It makes you feel good. And if you like the Bourne movies, which oh, I mean, I love the Bourne movies dearly. Um, one of the coolest things that, that they do is it's the anti-James Bond thing. So instead of your fancy-pantsy gadgets, he just picks up a magazine off a coffee table and rolls it up and starts battering a fellow with it. And that's brilliant because you think to yourself, oh, I could do that. Of course, you couldn't ever do it. But you think, well, I've seen magazines. I know how to roll them up. I've, you know, I've killed a spider here or there. So actually, I could be Chase. I could be a super spy <laughs> if, I, if I wanted to. And in gameplay terms, it's great because it's, it's, it does that thing you feel like a, a bad boy and actually it helps you in the stealth set because you always want to do those things when you're ste- the broom oh my god the broom it's like my favorite mm-hmm. thing in in 13 it's genius the guy picks up a broom and smash it swings it in someone's head from behind genius i was quite the fan of the ashtray and like how you could kind of shuriken it at somebody's <laughs> face <laughs> it's good stuff it's so funny something else that is good stuff, is the crossbow. This thing is brilliant. I love it. So in 13, you're not able to aim down sights with all of your weapons. You can only do it with two? Yeah. The sniper rifle, which I was a big fan of as well, but that is similar to, say, Far Cry, which is a a boom-boom sniper rifle. Here, also a boom-boom sniper rifle rather than a stealthy one. The quiet 
weapon of choice that also has a scope and that you're able to aim down sights with is the crossbow. I am a big, big fan of this. <laughs> it is so overpowered. It is ludicrously <laughs> overpowered. And I'd want to stress, like, do not get me wrong. I love it. There is no recoil. It's piss easy to use on PC using a mouse and keyboard. Uh, it is, yeah, it's just the accuracy is outrageous. It's an absolute beast. You can one-shot enemies when you blast an arrow through their faces. It is outstanding. But yeah, like, way too powerful. The crossbow in this, I love it. You line up the headshot, you fire it, and you're already, like, reloading and lining up the next one. And then, then the first one hits when you're like, yeah. genius. One of the most satisfying things. I love it. I thought this weapon was just an absolute, <laughs> the business, like, the cat's pyjamas, the whole fucking lot. Loved it. Like, I was actually very excited when it came into play because, honestly, we're, we'll be getting onto the boom boom next snow, whatever, but, like, I was worried because I was like, where is, where is the cell coming? And thankfully the crossbow you get, I think it's around maybe level five. I think it's five. Yeah. It's a phenomenal weapon for, for the stealth um, sections. The only counter to what I said about it being overpowered would be that in some levels you're not able to use it because you won't have ammo. And the ammo you pick up depends on the level that you're in so like if you have your crossbow you might and you've used all your ammo you might be in a level where there just aren't as many arrows to pick up in that level so you can't use the crossbow so like what i'm saying is that even though yeah it is overpowered it's an absolute beast like you're not going to be able to use it a hundred percent of the time yeah and the game does a pretty good job of forcing you to use other weapons in that regard. So there's some balancing, but I mean, you know, it's still outrageous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and by the way, right, fun fact, I shot a crossbow once in real life and uh, and they don't really have any recoil because I was but a lad. I was like 10 and uh, I shot a crossbow at a, at a target and they really don't have any recoil. I was uh, I was a little weakling kid and was able to do it. So th- th- thirteen, very accurate video game. <laughs> uh, so that is what we thought of the stealth of thirteen. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about the boom boom, as well as the most noteworthy mission level or area. So we will be back right after this. All right, then let us continue our chat of 13. We've started, you know, why would we stop here, lads? It would be silly, especially when we have yet to discuss the boom boom of 13. So the boom boom section is where we talk about the more explosive elements, the shooty bits and just other gameplay bits as well that aren't stealthily. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was the first thing we talked about in the stealth section, actually, and that is BAM! No! Ar! Baum! <laughs> Should have introduced this section as the, the Baum! Baum! <laughs> stealth section, Baum! Really, <laughs> So yeah, we spoke earlier about the footsteps of the guards, the tappa tappa tappa. Well, what I just said are four examples of both the more explosive and just the death comic book sound effects. So same as before, big splash text that appears on screen, 
uh, like you even broached uh, this topic earlier, Josh, like there's something magic about nailing a headshot and seeing no <laughs> appear around an enemy's head. Or yeah, seeing the word boom in front of you after you lob a grenade at some baddies and it blows up and everything just shit goes yeah. flying. As well as that, uh, something that I want to talk about, I know both you did as well. What I can only describe as 13's equivalent to modern sniper elites X-ray kill cam. This thing is inspired. I think we spoke about uh, the the sniper elite kill cam. Uh, we did actually on the last the manhunt episode oh, yeah. as well two weeks ago. So here, when you headshot someone, as well as seeing no above their heads, you'll also get three comic book panels at the top of the screen, and they will appear in quick order. So they'll and they'll all appear uh, one after each other. You'll just hear doof doof doof, and from left to right basically the three stages of a headshot graphical limitations allowing i suppose yeah you know we're, we we are talking about a 20 year old game here <laughs> but i think the lack of fidelity by today's standards uh, it does it does help here as well oh, yeah. and the style uh, of course because like i don't want to see some sort of hyper realistic headshot delivered <laughs> visually in in this type of fashion it has to be in 13 style yeah. it just feels superb especially when you get the sniper rifle i think i don't i think that's like mission maybe four no i think it's actually yes yeah, i think it is four it's when you're on the the rooftops with jones it's just a really really great moment it's perfect timing to like really show off that kind of thing um yeah and like as you said you don't want it to be like you don't want it to be that over the top sniper cam kind of style that would not work for it at all what what's in play here is perfect and i love it i don't need to see a testicle exploding no no that would be that would definitely be a change of pace and tone in in this video game but you say you kind of for you it came alive with the sniper rifle for me it does kind of go back to the crossbow for you josh wise you kind of tie it more into the throwing knives yeah i love the throwing knives in this game so the three panel thing agreed on all fronts, brilliant, brilliant noise, brilliant idea. And you just get like immediate satisfaction for doing it. Something about the knives. I think it's because when I was a kid, I was like, are these things that actually exist in the world? Cause I wasn't really aware of them, but like, yeah. So it's, it just looks like a little knife with your classic pointy bit and your handle, but the 13 like holds it by the blade and it's got this weird little like handle that has like perforations, like it's a kind of little grill. And I remember being a kid thinking that was like the coolest thing in the world. I was like, is that actually like what they are? Like they're knives that are meant to kill people. Like I just sort of thought it's cool spy hardware. And I remember, I remember going, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. my, it was my, when you do the three panels, the one with the throwing knife always looked like the coolest to me because you'd get the but it would always look kind of funny because the throwing knives are kind of big and it'd just be like sticking out of a guy's cheek and he'd have a load of ketchup on his face and it just looked a little bit goofy but sort of to glorious effect i think we can all agree like whatever weapon you're using it's glorious Mm. um But, you know, we, we, we've spoken a bit about the sniper rifle. Josh Wise, I know you want to talk about just the guns in general. Big time. Big time. I do. Here comes old gun pervert uh. Wise. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a digital gun nut, but they are very, very good in 13. They, and it's always a good, a good like test for a game, I think, if you can stick with the pistol um, for like the duration, if you want to. Because there are some games where you just you just think, ah, as soon as you get the machine gun or the whatever, never mind. You know, you move on, you never see the handgun again. I like the basic handgun in 13 for like loads of it. Really satisfying, like the noise of it is just like good. Like the, it's like a deep sort of rumble. And also like not that tough to line up good headshots when you're in the thick of the action with them. And then you get the satisfying little kablamo thing that goes goes above someone's head also it's one of those games where each like none of the guns blur together they're all like really really distinct like i know we've talked about the crossbow and we've talked about like sniper rifle and stuff but even just like the handgun super super different to the revolver like the magnum handgun and then you know the shotgun that they're all like there are no wasted slots in your weapon select thing. And each one of them is really satisfying to use in a different way. I know you were quite a fan of the guns as well, Adam, but in particular, the, the shootouts, should I say, than the guns. Is that fair? What surprised me is similar to Far Cry, which we discussed recently. Um, what took me by surprise playing Far Cry was just the how, how far away the enemies were in general in certain situations. And 13 is doing the same thing. And it's like, it's like they know it themselves because they do this thing where you'll be getting shot at and you'll be like, where the fuck is the fella? And then you might, he might be up on top of a mountain and then there's like this cursor goes around the kind of enemy to highlight he's up there. Now, for some, they might think, ah, I don't need that. That's kind of killing the whole thing. I definitely kind of appreciate it to a degree. Um, It's not an auto target thing that's happening, but it's just like, he's up there. Uh, but like, I think it adds a good bit of like scope to the overall game because it is quite linear and I just thought like it adds that that element of excitement mm. there there's a lot of um getting the headshot seeing the tree panel and then you see the enemy just dropping off the cliff or, or else you might see the actual like let's just say kill cam of the enemy getting hit and turning around and falling so it's it, it's surprising how much of these little things are in this game for the time that it was made. Yeah, and it's kind of similar to Far Cry in that sense of like, I think that is a good comparison because it kind of feels a little bit similar in terms of when you're sneaky and when you're not. You know, obviously in Far Cry, they had the enemies with the super binocular eyes. But like in 13, (laughs) it's like you can just kind of creep around and and do what you want to do. And when you blow it, you blow it. And you decide to just go all guns out. But it's kind of, it just feels really organic. It's not one of those games where it's like, this is, this is the stealth bit. And this is the, it's kind of like, there are bits that are prescribed, but on the whole, it's like, you go how you go. And I, I do dig that. And you can go how you go with your guns and by using them, in different ways, Josh. Not just from pulling the trigger. In some in some ways, the guns have uh, different functions. They do. I mean, it's mostly shooting. Mostly shooting. But- yeah, you can you can <laughs> you know, gun your own like, way. You can for the people at home. Yeah, we're talking about the the secondary fire mode, which 
I'm sure Josh, yeah, you will explain sometimes with like, I think the shotgun, the secondary fire mode is literally where you use the shotgun as a melee weapon or yeah. it depends gun to gun. And again, this is kind of something where I think you still get it sometimes. You can get it in like Call of Duty where it's like you have another button and it'll do you, you know, you usually the extent of it is, oh yeah, you know, it's got a grenade launcher mounted under that rifle or whatever. The ones here... Just kind of inventive and a bit cool. And secondary fire modes are a bit cool and we should do them more in more games. It's like if you've got the Magnum or it's certainly a revolver of some, a big dirty Harry handgun type thing, you can fire it as normal. But when you uh, pull the left trigger to do the uh, sort of alternate fire mode, <laughs> he, he like fans the hammer like he like it because it's usually quite a slow, you know, shooting gun. And he just fans the hammer and can just whip out six shots in like one second, which is pretty nuts. With the handgun, the secondary fire is that he just takes out a second handgun, <laughs> which is kind of great. Like if you have the ammo for it, he's just like, actually, I'll have another one. and Just pulls another one out, which I thought was brilliant. And yeah, you're right. The shotgun, wallop him over the head with the shotgun. What's not to love about that? That's the thing about a secondary fire mode. And they don't do it enough. It doesn't have to be built into the thing. It doesn't have to be like, oh, yeah, it would only work if it's a rifle with a ruddy great grenade launcher underneath it. No, no, no. Mm. Let me, in like loads of video games, take the shotgun and wield it like a baseball bat. You know, I just think that's great. So something you mentioned earlier, Josh, you spoke about how, you know, you can pick up chairs and ashtrays and bottles and et cetera, et cetera, and use them as weapons. That is important because 13 doesn't have a lot of gadgets at his disposal. As I think you said, you're not James Bond. You're the anti-James Bond. Uh, Can't a chair be as good as an exploding pen or something, (laughs) for God's sake? One of the gadgets you do have at your disposal is a grappling hook. And... I did want to make a bit of time to talk about this because this grappling hook is fantastic. I could be, and please do correct me, like I could be completely forgetting one, but I can't remember a similar grappling hook to 13s. I don't think so. It's pretty pretty singular in how it works. It's different to the ones we spoke about in, say, Tenshu, Stealth Assassins and Batman Arkham Asylum. Because, like, in those games, you fire your grappling hook at something and then you fly up to that point. And and listen, you know, no shade on either, in particular, ten shoes. This one, though, do you know what? It's so good that I'm annoyed that I wasn't given more reason to use it. Yeah. Yeah. How it works, right? You fire your grappling hook at a specific point, like it's preordained points, You can't just do it whenever you want. And then once you've fired it at that point via a remote control that you pull out of your pocket, you either ascend up the wire to where you shot your Mm. hook or you can descend on the wire. Because I'm so used to the example I I gave a minute ago, when I first realised I could do this, I just like, I I did a tiny shriek of excitement because I was expecting to just fire my grappling hook and just go and just like whiz up and that would be it. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This is brilliant. This is so good that I am kind of a bit annoyed that 
uh, like I can't think of another example neither of you can think of another example I'm like why has nobody stolen this yeah there's uh, it, it is sad that it's not it's not used as much it's like in in the canyon level I guess in third there's like there's like a couple there's like maybe three or maybe four it's kind of opportunities where you have to but it, yeah you're right and it adds such a verticality to some of the levels as well it's fantastic but yeah a little bit underused so that is what we thought of the boom boom of 13 so now let us talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area of the game to each of us so the first one i wanted to bring up and I think we've chosen the same one here, Adam. Yeah. We both said the level six Emerald military base rooftop. The objective is prevent the spads from setting off the alarm. And it's basically you, you must go into an area, shut down four generators, crossbow a load of lads in the head, and then climb a ladder. And it is good stuff. It is. It is. It is. It's good stuff. <laughs> I don't think it's maybe the best mission, but for me was where the crossbow really started to sing and where I began to say, hide bodies more. I was in this more open space. So, you know, I thought there was a greater chance that bodies could be discovered. And I was aware of the stealthy aspects of 13 quite a bit more from this point forward. Uh, and this is my experience on this level. Like, a perfect run was the epitome of Stealth Boom Boom. <laughs> like, I was a sneaky boy offing the, the first four lads because there's one outside a bunker, two inside a bunker, and then there's one patrolling a large gate just a little away from said bunker. And all of that went swimmingly, just no bother whatsoever. Then there's a gated section just after that. And that for me was absolute chaos. Like (laughs) within a second of me opening the door, there was a lad, he was in front of me, but you know, there was a bit of distance there, but I don't know. He spotted me pretty quickly and he was about to set off the alarm on the wall, but I popped him in the head pretty quickly and I was like, oh Christ, all right, that's good. And then I think another lad who was in there saw his body drop, ran over (laughs) And then he saw me and I was like, oh shit. So again, headshot with my overpowered crossbow. That happened like four or five times <laughs> in here. It was just, I was uh, ricocheting from, from enemy to enemy going like, oh, but, oh no, he's seen me. No, he's seen me. No, he's seen me. <laughs> it was the complete opposite to that first section. To the, basically the boom, boom to the first section stealth. Oh, it was great. It was great. Like on that second bit, I just kept hearing two things. So like, firstly, when an enemy was suspicious, they would just say, "What the?" and then <laughs> when they know they've definitely spotted you, they say, alert over and over and over again. What the? Alert! It's just that <laughs> consistently. Just the, like the, the, this level is just great fun. And is the earliest example of something 13 does well, which is give you that lifeline when you've been seen. It doesn't do it all the time. Like, you know, there are yeah, insta-fail missions. But that rush of killing a guard in between them shouting, Alert! 
heart and then <laughs> running over to the alarm on the wall and setting it off like and you having that time to pop him in the head oh oh it's great exact same vibes I felt like personally before this and I know this is only the sixth mission but honestly the first five missions are very bombastic and very mm-hmm. like don't get me wrong cracking it's great fun we're having a good time with all the style everything is cool and like all the scene with the music all that set up really well and I was kind of like alright this is fucking this is way more frantic than I expected <laughs> I guess but this level was its introduction I thought with the with the crossbow as you said Colm it's not the best mission it isn't but bringing in the crossbow having an amazing time with that this, the layout of the whole place because it's not like super it's not a big area it's very flat it's just a couple of like kind of hanger thing shades yep. all around the place and you're just going around and you're just the lads are just walking around doing their thing and you get these four generators happy days it has a very uh, golden eye feel to it I think Um, it just introduces the stealth side of the game really well and it's very satisfying and uh, yeah I, I, I'm fully with you now I have to while I'm on it I have to give in I know we don't do this but the bonus mission that I have to announce here, right? It's not necessarily the mission. It's more the moment. I I couldn't not put this in here. Uh, it's mission 17. It's in Spad's camp. And like, look, I'm not on about the, the, the level. It's just what happens. You just arrive to the camp. Soldiers everywhere. But I was inside a kind of a, a hut or something. And all of a sudden, I hear this song playing for some reason I felt like I knew the song and I looked up afterwards about this song and it's the most difficult thing to find out if it's real or yep. not or yep. it led me down some rabbit hole to some musician who I think <laughs> did it but then it seems like that musician isn't fucking real I don't know what was going on but you can see a soldier kind of standing there singing a song called You Can Fly it's Quite possibly the best moment of the game because it is so unexpected at this point. And this dude is singing a tune about him escaping what he's in and just like there's a bigger, brighter world out there for him. But it's the performance. It's bizarre. Oh, yeah. The the first time you hear it is it's an experience. (laughs) So, yeah, I I have a clip here with some bonus atmospheric thunder as well that's happening during the level. And I think I change weapon or something. You'll hear like a click. But yeah, here is a random soldier in this mission singing a song called You Can Fly. You can fly, you can hide. You can close your mind, but I'm still on the run. You can fly. can close your mind but I'll rise like the sun Can it, Doug? Man. Poor Doug. Just let Doug sing, damn it. It's just phenomenal. Just comes out of nowhere 
I was uh, and yeah, I was like, have I opened a window <laughs> on my browser or something? Like, what's what's happened? Why has this long lost Bon Jovi B side <laughs> from 1983 started to play? Like, what what the fuck is this? Um, it's it's fantastic. Josh Wise, mm. do tell you had a different one to myself and Adam. I chose mission number two, Winslow Bank, because. One of the things that's stuck in my head for like years since I played it is get the teller in the bank when you so so the, the the premise of the level is that you you what you wash up on this beach in thirteen and you don't know who he is you don't know what's going on but he he gets a key or something to a safety deposit box in Winslow Bank which is in uh, Manhattan so he needs to go into this bank. Find out who he was. Again, if you've seen the Bourne movie, it's the same as the Bourne Identity. Got the security deposit box, trying to work out who he is, goes to a bank. And there's this brilliant little moment where the teller at the bank, and if you, he says something to you, and his delivery of the line is just like burned into my brain, and I don't really know why. He goes, Mr. Boland? It's been such a long time. <laughs> and what's weird is <laughs> that if you leave it, if you leave the game on like the main menu, that the main menu just plays noises from the game. And, you know, there's like a sort of like a previously on or something like that. But if you just leave it on the star uh-huh. screen, you can hear that fucking teller guy deliver that line every time you load up 13. I think that's why it's burned into my brain. There are actual reasons that I've picked this level, though, not not just the teller. Um, it's such a good early level. Like, it's the first proper level level. Like the, like, the first actual level, you're just kind of on the run. There's mercenaries coming after you. Any kind of plot details you sort of get on the, on the hoof and you sort of, you know, in shootouts, basically. The thing that's so good, this is one of the best, like, mission twos ever, it's like the atmosphere is really, really cool. You don't know what the fuck's going on in terms of the plot at this point, and neither does uh, Jason Fly either. He doesn't know what's happening. So you, you're kind of with him. You don't know where it's going to go. There's this sense of paranoia where when you start every level, you see like panels and you hear uh, like a heartbeat and it sort of f- switches between the panels and it won't start the level until you like push the analog stick forwards kind of thing. So you're walking in here. You don't know if it's going to be like a kind of ambush or something like that. You don't know who, if any, you're thinking, are they going to recognize you sort of thing? It's got this kind of weird moment where the, te- <laughs> where the teller calls out your name. So it's sort of showing you some plot and you're sort of picking through this. It's got a really nice little bit of like, I guess you could call it social stealth, really. You're just sort of like walking around this bank level. There are civilians knocking about. You can't just go, you know, killing folk. You're just, you're just a guy in a bank at this point. And uh, mm. it's, it then shifts as, as, you, as you go through. You, you find your way to this safety deposit box. It, events dramatically shift, actually, because uh, some, some unsavory customers come into the back. People are hot on your tail, and so there are enemies to deal with. But the, it, it sort of goes in phases. It starts out with a nice little bit of social stealth, and you're kind of, taken in the story and then it kind of goes to a point where 
there are hostages. There are some, there are some bastards that come into the bank with a load of guns and they're coming after you and there's, but there's innocent bystanders and the game sort of says, don't kill the bystanders sort of thing. And you don't have uh, any weapons at first. So you, you have to kind of come across them. And that's when it introduces you. You've got the mechanic where you can pick up a chair and it, it's kind of the first introduction of real stealth, really. Like when you're kind of upstairs and you can crouch down kind of locate one of your targets, use the little tapper 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 to make sure they've turned their back, run out, smack them with a chair. Then you can then you've got a gun. So all of a sudden then it introduces you to the gunplay in the game. So this this like one level is like tutorial, I guess, for the entire thing, but really organically. It doesn't really like it doesn't feel like that. And anyway, then then it then it kind of shifts into more of a shootout. It's got this brilliant twist, I guess where you find the safety deposit box that the key is for and there's just a bundle of dynamite in the safety deposit box which which it, it, it doesn't if you just think about that for a few minutes you realize how insane that is but like whatever it blows a great big bloody hole in the back of the bank and Sure enough, that's where you've got to escape to. So it's just got, it's got like a little bit of everything and it ends with a real kind of exclamation point ending. It's, it's got a little bit of everything that I think is just great about 13, the game. It's ruddy good shit, I think. So that is what we thought of the boom, boom and uh, the mission level or area that stood out to each of us. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk more 13. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then, let us chat about the narrative, the characters, the voice acting of 13. And firstly, let's look at that narrative, shall we? Because, I mean, you know, it's it's been mentioned all the way throughout quite a bit. Like, it's such a great setup. A guy wakes up, guy has amnesia, guy tries to piece together who he is, guy learns he might have assassinated the president of America, (laughs) guy finds out that there's actually a conspiracy of 20 people with tattoos of Roman numerals and he must kill them before they try and take over the country. Like, sign me up. (laughs) This sounds great. But I have one main issue. Well, t- I suppose two actually, but I'll get to the second one in a bit because it relates to something that you want to kind of go more in depth on, Josh. First one is that the 20, uh, who are, you know, the, the the bad group of 20 conspirators that are going to overthrow the American government, they're just a bit... Uh, a bit undercooked. Yeah. If I'm being nice, maybe like rather than the group as a whole, I'm talking more about the individual targets that you kill. Like the group is fine. I suppose like the game never wants to fully commit to why this group exactly want power other than, I don't know, power's cool. Let's do that. But then at the same time, the game has them. And as I said earlier, it is how it's depicted in the books. Like the game has them looking like clan members. But my my main issue, yeah, the individual members. And it's because most of the time when you're introduced to a new target, right? So an, an individual that's part of this 20, you are going to kill that target in approximately 20 minutes, maybe. <laughs> right. 
like half an hour if I'm being generous, if you die a few times or whatever it is. Mm. And because of that, these members of the 20 just, they they just become slightly more powerful versions of regular enemies. Mm. Like enemies with, I don't know, with some armor on, so they're a bit harder to kill when you have the boss fight. The, the middle of the game gets bogged down mm. with trying to get the player to go through as many of the 20 as yes. possible. And when they are all ironically, merely a number, like then my investment just, it dwindles. I do think the game is a bit long. Yeah, for sure. It's only like, what, nine hours is the is the rough time for this one? Ish. You sort of think, be quite nice if it was like seven hours and a bit. I agree on your, on your, on your story assessment, uh, for sure. How do you feel about like the tone of the game? I always so it's got this like bright, colourful art style, right? Which we all kind of it looks it looks really cool, right? That's that's kind of the thing. And I always think that like I agree with you on the plot. It's a great setup, and it becomes like less great because of a few things as you go along. But I always I always find that the tone of the game is this really odd thing where. It's got that sort of 70s, late 60s, 70s sort of um, funkiness. I know they were sort of talking about the taking inspiration from Lalo Schifrin's music and all that sort of stuff. But unless you're going to go really, really mental, like sort of like Metal Gear Solid 3 or something, and it's out and out like crazy camp... (laughs) For me, 13 always falls somewhere in the middle where it's like... It's funny and it's pulpy and you've got Adam West and that's kind of funny. <laughs> you know, it's got these things where it's like, we don't really want you to to kind of take it very seriously. Like it's it's overtly comic booky in a way. But then that to me never quite sits right with the like the way that it pays a kind of attention to character and tries to tell this sort of story. Well, tries to sort of tell the Bourne identity story. Because I always find it kind of, I don't connect with the characters because of that tone, because of that disposable style over substance tone. It's It's got this cool setup. And I kind of think that might be one of the reasons it sort of fizzles out a little bit because it's like, well, it's not the born, you know, the born identity is totally different tone. It's actually quite serious and you really can connect with the characters and sort of follow the plot through. And the th- the thing with Metal Gear Solid is like, well, I mean, the story's absolutely crazy and you've not got hope in, hope in hell of following it, but you can really sort of soak in the atmosphere and the characters still come through. 13, for me, kind of loses out a little bit on, on both of those things. Great style, but I think that might actually get in the way of me properly connecting to it, like as a story. I'll be honest, I had a good time with the overall story. As you say, Colin, the, the initial setup is... Ah, like it's it's quality. It is quality immediately. And I think it, it stayed with me throughout. My biggest issue with the tone, and I won't go in, in depth with it yet, but it's just the voice acting. That's why I couldn't connect with any characters. Yeah, okay. But we'll get to that. Before we do, we must talk about the ending. Josh, set it up for our lovely listeners. Describe what happens before you see the words to be continued splash on the screen. So you've resolved most of the major, the the evil people, justice has been served and everyone is about to live happily ever after. You're on a, a yacht. <laughs> it's the 
president's yacht. There's fireworks. There's people mingling. Eve's running about. Major Jones is running about. Adam West is there. Everyone's having a good time. The president's brother, William Sheridan. Wally. So he's now the president. You're mingling. You're enjoying the champagne. You're enjoying the fireworks. You go to talk to the new president who... His brother was the old, it's sort of a Bobby Kennedy situation. Yes. He's, he's, he's saying, oh, I'm going to pick up the good work that my brother started, blah, 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 blah. You go to speak to him. He's got a sort of office downstairs in this, in this yacht. And uh, oh, he goes to take a phone call. And they sort of do, they do this rug pull where it turns out that actually uh, he was the uber villain he was the one that arranged for his own brother's assassination. He pulls out a gun and points it at you. All is not well with the world. He says, actually, you're fucked, or words to that effect. And then the game just sort of fades out. The fireworks are still in your memory. You, you, you thought it was all good. But then actually, no, absolutely everything that's gone wrong has gone wrong. And it says to be continued. And here we are uh, 20 years later, and I don't believe that it has continued. No. The thing is, I'll, I'll just go for because I know this is a big one. <laughs> I'm not bothered. And the plot's a load of silly nonsense anyway. Um, it's a bit sad. <laughs> it is sad because I want more 13. I want a 13 too, or 14. Um, but it, we're not going to get one. But in a way... The sort of cliffhangery silliness, it sort of puts a perfect cap on what is an absolutely bonkers story. And so it doesn't really bother me. That may not be a popular opinion. What did you guys think? I think you are speaking nonsense, <laughs> Josh Wise, because without the sequel, the story doesn't feel complete. There are plot points here that might have become clear if there was a sequel. But because there isn't a 13-2 or a 14 or whatever it would have been called, you're kind of left wondering. So like I made reference to this when I was going through the story throughout the game, the amnesiac protagonist who turns out to be a man called Jason Fly, who has assumed the the appearance of Steve Rowland via plastic surgery. He has flashbacks to what happened before the beginning of the game. But some of those flashbacks Unless I miss something here, some of those flashbacks appear to be the memories of Steve Rowland, the man Jason Fly is pretending to be. <laughs> However, some memories are quite clearly memories that belong to Jason Fly, like where he's talking to Kim Rowland and General Carrington about assuming Steve Rowland's identity. Like, I don't want to stick the boot in too much because they never got the chance to do a sequel and maybe it was all leading to that or whatever. But like, at the same time, I think it's fair to mention. Now, I'm more than willing to be told you are talking nonsense, Colm. Those memories were all belonging to Jason Fly and et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think they were. Yeah, I thought, I always read that as that they as that they were... It was like a stylistic muddling that he was kind of getting into character or that we weren't seeing the memories rendered exactly truthfully because it was like a sort of unreliable narrator situation. But, right. uh, but I agree, it's muddy and, I, and I'm like not 100% on that. That's how I read it. But 
I may be too forgiving of the game, I'm sure. 13 may have had a sequel if it had sold more copies. And maybe it would have sold more copies if it had a different leading man. Boo. So, do you know the way I said I thought Brian Cox would have phoned in his performance on Manhunt on the last podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what David Duchovny does for 13? (laughs) David Duchovny legitimately couldn't give less of a shit. (laughs) In his vocal performance, there are no peaks, no valleys, just one tone, regardless of what's happening. And yeah, there, there can often be quite a lot happening. 13 doesn't sound engaged. He doesn't sound phased. He doesn't sound anything. He sounds bored is what he does. He sounds bored with whatever's happening. And I I, I looked up because I was like, where was Fox Mulder in in this part of his life? The X-Files had only finished up the year prior and he was now branching out into movies. He had done the part in, in Zoolander. He had done Evolution with Stifler. Do you remember that film? Mm, I love that movie. Yeah. At this point, David Coveney, he, he has no interest in this comic book video game nonsense as far as he is concerned. He is going to use his X-Files fame and pull in order to become the leading man of Hollywood. If I am a betting man, that's what Duchovny is thinking in 2003. Or maybe something less mustache twirly, I don't know. Now, if I'm to give him the benefit of the doubt, and he's actually thinking, oh, oh gee whiz, Gillian, he's on the phone to Gillian, and he's going, oh, oh gosh, golly willikers, I'm going to put my best foot forward on this interactive uh, picture, Gillian, this is going to be, oh, if that's how he's talking uh, to his co-star, then he... This is just a shit performance. I like the idea that he he is best buddies with Gillian in real life and that they call each other over the telephone to keep each other updated. Our lovely listeners have heard some of Dave already in the trailer and in the telly ad as well that I played. But I did want to play some of him in the actual game. Actually, before I play something, it is worth noting, right? You, You don't actually hear much of... Duchovny. Like, I presume he was prohibitively expensive or they had to cut some stuff because it was so uninspired. Uh, so I, I have some clips of Duchovny opposite his other big celeb counterparts as well, right? So the first clip here is where I'm just going to call the character 30, not Steve Rowland, not um, Jason Fly, just 13. So this is where 13 gets to properly speak to Major Jones for the first time after breaking out of FBI headquarters. Major Jones, of course, played by the rapper Eve. You're going to hear one line from Duchovny while the rest is all Eve. So listen to this. Seeing me again doesn't do anything for you, does it? I can't believe it. You really have lost your memory. Who are you? I'm Major Jones, first officer for General Carrington. Ring a bell? Carrington went missing three days ago. He was leading a parallel investigation into President Sheridan's assassination. He's the only one who can get you out of this mess. It's not safe here. Over the wall. Let's go. I'm not saying Eve is Meryl Streep in that scene. But I will say she's trying. 
Yeah. There's another clip of 13 speaking with General Carrington, who, of course, is played with our other celebrity, Adam West. And in this, Adam West, or General Carrington, I suppose, is basically explaining the plot of the game 213, pretty much. It's a lot to take in, of course. So please do listen to how shocked and taken aback 13 is at the end of this. So listen to this. Your amnesia really set us back, son. Damn, we were so close to finding the bastards. The night you disappeared, you were about to ID number one. But naturally, none of that rings a bell now. Listen, there are 20 of them, son. 20 conspirators hiding behind numbers. Captain Steve Rowland was one of them. The notorious number 13. He killed the president, but his accomplices betrayed him and hired the mongoose to kill him. And today he actually is dead. Well, then who am I? David Duchovny is is a very strange performer, right? He sounds quite similar in The X-Files. Like, it's almost like... In the X Files, he there's scenes where he he almost looks like he's about to start laughing at his own performance. It's it's really odd, right? And then you see him in the likes of Californication, and it's like the man has a shot of it of adrenaline going through him. He is like a complete. It's it's like Californication in his mind is like, oh, that this is a fucking show now that I'm gonna really give give my all. Mm. It's like he kind of tries to do. Molder in 13 but unfortunately it's so fucking dull like I have to say overall Eve actually gives the best performance it's not great it's not great <laughs> but at least she's giving it a bash like totally you won't get any arguments from me but I do have one more clip of Duchovny and I included this because I think this is the most you hear from the 13 character in the entire game, in like one scene. In this, you are going to hear 13 summarize what happened to Steve Rowland, the man whose uh, life and appearance that Jason Fly has kind of taken on. So take a listen to this. Captain Steve Rowland faked his own death, officially killed in action. After that, he was free to assassinate the president without anyone suspecting him. But he didn't plan on getting squeezed by his employers. Yes, killed by the mongoose. Yet he somehow got back to his wife's house, where he died. Kim Rowland is the one who came up with the dead ringer idea. Josh Wise, please, please, your rebuttal, because... I have no idea how you can defend this. My my defence, which will be stalwart <laughs> and true, is to simply say, I don't know what you've seen where he isn't that. David Duchovny <laughs> uh, is, a, is a wonderful fellow. I love all of his work. And Adam was bang on the money with his thing with Californication. But the thing with Californication is... If you close your eyes and watch Californication, you're going to get to the same point, I'm afraid. He is not a man that suits voice work. The man has a monotonous voice. And if you look at him in Twin Peaks or Californication, or even when he had that bit part in Sex and the City, which I think was the same year 13 came out, 
He has a, a, a soothing, monotonous voice. In fact, I actually have his album, um, Hell or High Water. He's a singer-songwriter as well. Amazing. What's that like? Uh, well, if you, I urge anyone listening to this to go on YouTube and type in Hell or High Water and listen to him sing the chorus because... It is incredible. The man, he's monitor. He doesn't go up or down in his voice. It's amazing. Even when he's singing. He's, it's, <laughs> it is incredible. It's like, hell or high water. He, like, he do, he, you can see that he's going for the notes, but he sort of like, sort of glides over them. So, But, but hang you know, on, right? Hang on. Because that's all well and good. And you can be like, oh, but that's what you get from David Duchovny. Well, my thing then would be, Let's not get David Duchovny for this But my role. rebuttal to that, which, which, which I just thought was funny, actually, because we were talking earlier about how in one of the trailers, there was that other fella who did the voice of 13, right? Instead of David Duchovny, there was the guy who did the voiceover for one of them. So for, for the, the people at home, because we didn't actually mention on the pod, that initial trailer that we played... Conventional wisdom says that I killed the president. For some reason... There was another cut of that where there was a different person who read the exact yes. same lines that David Duchovny did. Conventional wisdom says that I killed the president. So my, and I don't know this for certain, but I would guess they maybe had someone else, to a voice actor, to play 13, and then they could get David Duchovny. Yes. And they did. Pure speculation on my part. I don't know. I think that's probably a bloody good bit of speculation. Um, and the thing is, is that that guy who did it for that voiceover, you'd probably have to say he does he that he suits the thing more than Duchovny. And actually, just in terms of the way the character looks, it's funny that you look at thirteen in this game. And actually, it's David Duchovny's voice coming out of him. Like, that is funny. And the guy from that other voiceover actually suits it more. But the thing is, is that this might not be the best David Duchovny thing. I don't think it's as bad as we're making it. I think the guy just is monotone and, and certainly in voiceover is a bit stilted. But you get David Duchovny if you can get David. It's such good casting. It's If you think about, like... Fox Mulder, all the conspiracies about JFK, where the smoking man actually pulled the trigger in that episode of the X-Files, Memoirs of a Smoking Man. It just makes sense. He's the 20th century guy. He sounds like a fucking amnesiac because of his crazy voice, you know? <laughs> Everything about it is, oh, that's so funny that they got David... With the music, it sounds like he's going to one of those um, like slam poetry nights or something. You just get this guy going nuts on these bongos in the background. Meanwhile, he's just like, I woke up and I didn't know who I was. And you just think, what is this? But I would absolutely not change it for the world. I think the man's a treasure. And he only ever did like this and area. Well, he did those. He did the X-Files game on PS2, Resist or Serve, which is another one we won't be talking about ever here, unfortunately. Don't be slagging off. He's he's a gem. Wouldn't it be so amazing if he like at his live gigs like came out and actually did a version of uh, that that song that Soldier sings in thirteen? You can fly. <laughs> 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 this 
So that is what we thought of the story, the voice acting, the characters, David Duchovny. David Duchovny's album as well. Hell or High Water. Go out and buy <laughs> yeah. that. All good record shops. <laughs> Check it out. Stick it on your Spotify playlist. Um, I don't think we'll ever be mentioning that when we talk about our number ones in the intros, sadly. But yeah, now it is time for our little miscellaneous section, which is where we mop up any things that we haven't been able to fit into the other sections of the podcast. And the first thing I want to talk about is that the checkpoint slash save system is rubbish. (laughs) Couple of things. Simply put, there aren't enough checkpoints and the save system is weird. It's so weird. So you will see, you'll be going through a level and checkpoint or you've just reached a checkpoint or whatever it is, something like that will come up on screen. And when that does, you expect the game to have saved <laughs> you there. The next time you die, that's where you're going to pop up. Or when you when you turn off the game, oh, I guess it's saved there. Or, you know, barring that, you expect that the game will save in between levels. Yeah. No, 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 doesn't do that. Uh, if you complete a level, you're going to a new level. If you don't save the game before you turn it off, you lose all progress. And you just start at the last time you saved. And it's odd, right? Because you can't just save whenever you like. The, the game has specific save points. It's, it's, it's those checkpoints and in between levels. But it still expects you to be the one to do the saving. It's that just is weird, so, yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. It's between two things. Yeah, it's shit. It is and, shit. And, and like on the, yeah, the topic of like more checkpoints, it's like some of those stealthier levels, they can be very trial and error. Oh God, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I feel like a portion of my deaths feel a bit unfair then. It's complete bottom. Like it really is. Not a fan. Not a fan. Uh, something I am a fan of, something Josh is a fan of, something Adam is a fan of, is that soundtrack. It's pretty good. And how reactive it is is ridiculous as well. The thing itself is brilliant, but the reactiveness, which doesn't it doesn't always come across in games, is actually great. You know, you start firing that gun and the way the percussion picks up is ridiculous. It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. I think from there is honestly not a weak moment within the soundtrack. I think it just suits the tone perfectly. I think the the production's incredible on it. It's it's really though. It's all about the drumming. Oh. Whoever fucking drummed on this is ridiculous. This is this really just feels like late sixties, early seventies jazz fusion. It's it's it just blistering. But um, oh yeah, it's you can pick anything out of the soundtrack, and it it's absolute fire. Yeah, one track I have here is from. The I think it's the, the the basically the the kind of the first level I suppose the uh, at Brighton Beach when you're going out and taking on some enemies and I mean this is just like it is it is chaos but it is organized chaos it's so wild and yeah shout out to the drummer you are you are a trooper so the composer on this one definitely want to give them their flowers Lionel Gaget. Gadget did some incredible, incredible work on this. Yeah, take a listen to this. (laughs) 
fucking hell. <laughs> it's so mental. So much stuff going on. The little, the little. Oh, I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, we, we are treated so rarely these days with soundtracks. When a, when a corker comes along, it's such a gift. One last thing I wanted to mention, and I did not expect to be talking about this man today. <laughs> So listeners will be familiar with the excellence of elocution, (laughs) Mr. Jack Carver from our Far Cry episode. Jack Carver, of course, the protagonist of that video game. And uh, as I was playing 13, a different game to Far Cry, (laughs) I thought I heard the Hawaiian shirted wonder. So I checked IMDb. And the voice actor of Jack Carver, Peter Theus, is credited on 13 as Spad's number one slash conspiracy members number six. Back again. That's great. No word of a lie. <laughs> it really warms my heart to hear him pop up. And according to IMDb, Peter Theus's first role in a video game as well. And looking at Theus's IMDb, I don't think we're going to meet again. So this is as good a time as any to say thanks for the memories. <laughs> so I'm going to play a clip here. First voice is someone else, but they are talking to basically Jack Carver. So take a listen to this. We've got visitors, Captain. What do we do? Nothing. Keep loading the submarine. But we might be spotted. What did I just say? Carry on. Yes, sir. <laughs> top, top word. Oh, Jack Carver. What a mm. legend. So that is what we thought of the, uh, the story, the voice acting and all that. And that is our little miscellaneous section done, which means that is what we thought of 13. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to summarise our thoughts on the game in a little segment we like to call The Verdict. So we're going to be back in just a sec after this wonderful musical interlude. All right then, this is this part of the podcast that indeed we call The Verdict, which is where we summarise our thoughts on the game we have just spent a couple of hours talking about today, 13. But before we do that, why not? Let, let's give the listeners a bit of an insight into what the critics were saying about 13 at the time it came out. So this first review it was published on IGN. Uh, reviewers Tom McNamara and they gave it 8 out of 10. And McNamara said, quote, 13 has a great story-driven sheen, but at its core, it's weighed down by some occasionally bewildering flaws. In addition to the lacklustre weapons and simple combat we usually see in lesser productions. Jeff Gerstmann of GameSpot gave 13 6.4 out of 10. And Gerstmann said, quote, 13 has a unique and potentially interesting premise, and some will certainly want to drag the way through the single-player campaign just to watch the story unfold, but the game doesn't really differentiate itself from the wide array of other first-person shooters on the market. Ryan O'Donnell of GameSpy gave it 3 out of 5, and they said, quote, When it comes right down to it, 13 is a fine game. The single-player experience is enjoyable, if not revolutionary, and hell, 
Maybe the graphical style really does it for you. By all means, give 13 a shot. Just don't expect the FPS of the year because, sadly, this isn't it. Kristen Reed of Eurogamer gave it 8 out of 10 and Reed said, quote, The visual style and narrative will ad- admittedly have a select appeal and some of you might come away underwhelmed from initial impressions, but my advice is stick with it because it's one of those games that becomes more endearing the deeper you delve into it. And finally, Thierry Nguyen of official PlayStation Magazine US gave uh, 13 3.5 out of 5, and they said, quote, Strip away the gorgeous visage, and you have a typical shooter with some good tweaks. But lads, none of those opinions matter, and they certainly don't matter on this podcast. No, the only opinions that matter on Stealth Boom Boom are Adam's, Josh's, and mine, as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on 13. So how this works is that each of us will give 13 a rating. That rating is either a pass, a play, or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. One, two, three. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we change the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. Colm, Adam and Josh. So let's give our final ratings of 13. So then, 13 is pretty cool. I'm sorry to go back to it. I probably said it a couple of hours ago, dear listener, and I'm going to say it again. 13 is very cool. I think that the people who say 13 is style over substance are saying that with a kind of a, a negativity, right? I'm going to tell you that 13 is style over substance and that's okay because I think there is substance but the style definitely uh, is in greater quantity. Yeah. I think it's a pretty enjoyable shooter. I, I, I think the crossbow as I mentioned, is is fantastic. Totally overpowered, but still fantastic. The everyday weapons you spoke about, Josh, they're great. Yeah, the, the, the sniper rifle, some of the other guns, the secondary fire, like a lot of it is really good stuff. It still has its, has its problems, of course. It's certainly too long. Um, yeah, the voice acting is not great. The premise is good, but it's a bit baggy in the middle. Like, it's not perfect. And I suppose that's why I do go back to style over substance. Like, ultimately, the, the entire wrapper around it, the, the, the visuals, the, the music we spoke about, the things like the three-panel kill cam, that stands for something. And that's what does make 13 stand out against other first-person shooters. And when you slap that on top of what is an enjoyable first-person shooter with, again, enjoyable stealth aspects and enjoyable stealth missions. Lads, I think you have a play. So, Adam Carroll, what say you then on 13? Um, it's a funny one because, similar to what you're saying, Colm, um, there was a point, I feel, like nearly halfway through the game where, in my mind, I think I was like, Fuck it, this, this, this is great, isn't it? This is, this is really, <laughs> really good. And I knew that I was going to more than likely enjoy this game. Um, 
do you know what game comes to mind for me in this? It's 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 not the same, but it's it it has bits and bobs like it. Is Deathloop, right? Mm. And the thing in Deathloop it, with its with its style and its music, and what really sold Deathloop massively on top of all that as well for me was the the banter between Colt and Juliana, and to me, that does not exist here, as we've said with the company's performance and. I can't get by on it. I, I think it's the biggest fucking waste to have the cast that were in it and delivering such an unbelievably bore of a kind of a, a, a dialogue spreadsheet. Like, it, it's just, I don't understand what's going on there. It really baffled me when I got past the midway point. I was like, Jesus, no, there's no crack with the story. I think it just needed to be tighter in the voice acting and its story. And if that was the case, I think I would have gone espionage explosion. I was, I was actually like, as I said, like when I was got to that crossbow level, and I was like, "Fuck, I don't know what this is. Good, this is good stuff." And then it just started getting a bit stale, which for me now it is a play. Also, it has a lot of good stuff going for it. So yeah, it's a play for me. Josh Wise, what say you on thirteen? Yeah, I think I'd have to echo that and give it a play. I think um, it would be sort of same as Adam, really. It'd be sort of close to an espionage explosion, were it not for for some of its some of its quibbles. Uh, I, I do think that checkpoint and saving system is pretty annoying. But I think what it is with thirteen and why, why I kind of love it so much is I think history's been very kind to it. I think a lot of the reviews at the time were a little bit rough on it. And I think as time's gone on and we haven't really had anything like it, I actually think that's a great comparison with Deathloop I, because it, I, it hadn't occurred to me. And I think there are a lot of similarities, actually. Um, in a lot of ways, Deathloop picked up a lot of the stuff from 13. And it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's style over substance. I'd say that to a degree, it's like style as substance. It's like, but, but we, you know, we don't have hardly any games that have a soundtrack that's this like fucking cool and you know and and, and I think Deathloop's a great shout because when that soundtrack came out I was like oh man that's so such a specific like Lalo Schifrin or sort of like 60s 70s James Bond movies you know and, and as, as we were sort of saying earlier you know a lot of the stealth it's like well it uses the style and it actually uses it as the substance. It sort of helps you to be stealthy. It helps you to kind of behave in that kind of way. So it's it, it just does a lot of things that I think are really damn cool. So that is 13, a play all round. But forget 13. Put it to the back of your minds because we need to focus our attention on the next game that we're going to be talking about on this very podcast. Because on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be looking at a game that Trent C. Ward of IGN called, quote, one of the most exciting first-person games to come out in years. Peter Olafson of GamePro said this game is, quote, as original, vital and coherent a computer game as I've had the pleasure to play this year. And Greg Kasavin at GameSpot called it, quote, Stylish, serious, rewarding and unique. For the final time this year, we're going back to the year of stealth, 1998. And if you've been following along all year, you probably know what I'm talking about now. On the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Thief, the Dark 
Project. Hey, who's there? Probably just a critter. Project, however, Thief Gold, I guess, because you can no longer get Thief of the Dark Project. So we will be playing Thief Gold over the next two weeks. But, lads, do either of you have any history with uh, the original Garrett adventure? It's a biggie. I don't. It's a big gap in my knowledge. I'm, I'm thief ignorant. I played that funky PS4. Um, but yeah, no, no experience with the OG uh, thief. Uh, Adam Carroll, are you similar or are you a, a thief nut? I have never played a thief game. Excellent. Um, my my knowledge of thief, not fantastic. I have played the original thief, but only for, I think it was for work purposes. It wasn't that long ago and it was to capture footage it was a very specific thing I was doing. So I will be, for the first time, like properly playing Thief. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. As you said, Josh, a biggie. A biggie indeed. So yes, that uh, just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, you can subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all your podcatching apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. Just search for us on there and you will surely find us. If you don't, actually, let us know. But you should be able to find us on most of them. And also, if your podcast platform of choice allows it, please do rate and review us as well five stars on Apple Podcasts I know uh, um, Spotify has a kind of a question thing they ask you at the end if you answer that question that would be great feed your engagement into the algorithm and that helps us thank you very much uh, you can also follow Stealth Boom Boom, a boom on social media at Stealth Boom Boom I am at column underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes and Josh is at Joshy Weiss but now now it's time for my least favourite part of the show. This is the part of the show where we bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye Josh Wise. See you later. Say goodbye Random Guard. Alert! And say goodbye <laughs> Colm Ahern Sloan Guffall. <laughs>